Well, thank you, Ashwin. I'm the one who should thank you. You've done a great job organizing this and getting some fabulous food for all of us. And uh, I'm always happy to um, share some comments and, uh, and see what I can do to get some, the word out about vegetarianism. I have um, a talk called Why Vegetarian? And uh, I can do this in uh, as little as half an hour and as much as three hours. But today, Ashlyn has given me about an hour. So it's about 10 after 7. I'll plan to start to wrap up around 8-ish. And uh, uh, I, if you have any quick questions during the talk, please, by all means, raise your hand. And if it's a longer discussion, then let's try to hold off till 8-ish and then till about 8.10, 8.15, maybe some questions and answers. And then I'd be glad to stick around afterwards as well and, and chat a little bit more. Um, so my talk is called Why Vegetarian? A lot of us have heard about vegetarianism. Many of us, some of us may be vegetarians. So I thought I would take this hour or so with you to just talk about what are some of the issues related to vegetarianism and, you know, um, why one might think about moving towards a, a plant-based diet. One thing I don't do in this talk is um, we all come to, uh, we all make choices in our lives and some of us may decide that plant-based diet makes sense and we're going to move towards that. But one thing you won't hear me do today is say, you must be a vegetarian. Because when I do that, there's one finger pointing to you, but there's four fingers pointing to me. There's a lot of things I should do that perhaps I don't do. Um, I think it's important as educated people that we learn about information out there. So for example, I know that driving a car is not a good thing. It causes a lot of pollution and I drove a car to come here, so it would be wrong of me to tell you to do something when I'm doing a lot of things which perhaps aren't optimal. So we make life decisions based on, based on um, living in the real world and trying to be good educa educated citizens. So with that caveat in mind, let me go ahead and start and, and discuss a little bit about vegetarianism. So my objectives with you this hour are to talk about why people might be interested in moving towards a plant-based diet, what are some, uh, some benefits of vegetarianism, and then after the talk you might say, well, you know, Dilip made some points that were interesting, I'd like to get some more information. So uh, Ashlyn has some very nice books out here, we'll talk about some of them and, and other resources to use for more information. Does that sound like an interesting use of our hour together? Okay, good. And, and uh, by all means, during the presentation, help yourself to food. It's been donated by... Um, oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. Excuse me. Sure. Lily's Pizza donated two pizzas. Thank you. Thank you. And Dilip's Pizza donated two pizzas. And Neomon donated the hummus and pita bread. So we're really grateful to them. Yeah, so, th very so thanks to Ashlyn for organizing that. Thanks to Neomon and thanks to Lily's. Um, quick uh, comment. Some of us may not be familiar with the food. Um, Neomons makes excellent Middle Eastern food, and the food they've made is uh, pita bread with a dip called hummus. Uh, and hummus is a spread made with chickpeas and garlic, onion, lemon juice, and sesame paste, which is kind of like peanut butter. Very tasty, and that's the best way to eat it, just dipping the bread in. Looks like there's some grapes and salad. Um, we'll talk about veganism in a few minutes. Veganism means not using animal products. Strictly speaking, Lily's Pizza today is not vegan. They have a little bit of honey. But I really admire Lily's because they're very open about that. If you go there, they say on their menus that our pizza can be made vegan, except the dough has a little bit of honey. So it's a very small amount of honey. But they even use separate cutting utensils. There's no cheese. Or maybe we got some with uh, vegan cheese. Okay, cheeseless. So you can see that 
you can eat it perfectly. Those of you who've tried the pizzas, it's quite good and there's no cheese. You don't miss the cheese, do you? So, uh, so that's what that we have to eat. So please, by all means, enjoy the food. Just save a tiny bit for me, which Ashlyn has already done. But dig in. It's not, I don't mind your eating at all. So the agenda is uh, why, what are some reasons that people may be interested in vegetarianism. We'll talk about some basic definitions and some misperceptions as well. Um, I hate to give a talk by just kind of philosophizing or giving theory, so I'll definitely talk about, well, you go home and you might say, well, he made some good points, I'm going to kind of move towards a plant-based diet, or I'm going to eat meat a little less often, but what do I do in the kitchen? So I'll give you some pragmatic ideas of what you can do today or tomorrow in your kitchen to uh, move towards a plant-based diet and I'll end with some references. Now one warning I have to give you is, and she complains, my wife Lisa complains about this a lot, is I tend to talk really, really fast. <laughs> so if I'm talking too fast, then just raise your hand and I can slow down a little bit. And sometimes my voice doesn't project, so if you're in the back and you can't hear me, just raise your hand and I'll be glad to uh, slow down. Um, a couple years ago, we had somebody hard of hearing in the audience, so we had somebody doing sign language. And when I was speaking, the sign language person was going like this, and they kept saying, slow down. So I eventually, I think, got the message. So let's start off by some reasons one may move towards a plant-based diet. One really good reason to move towards a plant-based diet, oh, and one other prefatory comment is my, my wife is actually recording um, the presentation and uh, we in the Vegetarian Society um, podcast and so uh, we will post the audio and any of you who ask questions I'll repeat the question and um, the audio website is h2o for water h2opodcast.com I think that's it isn't it h2opodcast.com so you can come back and listen again and listen to a whole variety of other talks that we in the Vegetarian Society have hosted about religion and vegetarianism, about ethics, about a whole number of different topics. So one reason people move towards a plant-based diet is that uh, many people feel it's one of the very best things you can do for your health. One thing I hate to do is make any claims without backing evidence. So I brought a few copies of my handout, about 10, but anytime I make a reference, like the American Diet Dietetic Association has shown that vegetarian diets are associated with re reduced risks for many um, chronic diseases, there's a footnote. So if you don't believe me, go to the footnote and, and, uh, and you, can, you can find the reference there. So, um, you know, it's great. I think it's really nice in the United, in the United States. We just came back from, from Europe, and in Europe a lot of, we noticed a lot more people smoke than in the United States. And it's really refreshing in the United States that smoking isn't, isn't as common as some other places. Um, for us who are non-smokers, maybe some of us in the room smoke, but for those of us who don't smoke, it's nice to be around, you know, environments where there's not a lot of smoke. And I'm really glad, I think one reason is because of our public health policy. The United States has billboards, and remember Sangeeta in Germany, we saw a lot of advertisements for, you know, cigarettes, and I thought that was really strange that they had these, you know, you know, because we don't have those kinds of ads in the United States. And that's good, but I wish that the United States would have an equivalent ad campaign about animal-based foods because the impact of animal-based foods actually is greater than the impact of smoking, according to some metrics. So it would be nice if you know, we got the word out about that. So um, the American Dietetic Association has shown that there's reduced risk from things like obesity, coronary artery disease, diabetes, colorectal cancer, lung cancer, kidney disease, and hypertension. And we all probably know people who have um, propensities or who have some of these diseases. Wouldn't it be nice if they had the information about how diet can be used to reduce or, or um, the chances of some of these diseases? 
and there's evidence that a totally plant-based vegan diet might be the healthiest. Your cholesterol level is the biggest factor for heart attack and it's most significant at a level over 150. I'm using some terms I haven't defined, and I'll define vegan more carefully in a few minutes, but vegan is somebody who doesn't use animal products. So the average U.S. vegan has a cholesterol level of 128, which is significantly lower than 150. High levels of cholesterol are consistently associated with many cancers. Okay. Where does cholesterol come from? From animal-based foods. So saturated fat has a stronger mortality correlation than smoking. This is kind of going back to what I just spoke about a few minutes ago. The only concentrated saturated fat vegetable sources um, in the plant kingdom are tropical and artificially hydrogenated oils, margarines. There are some vegan foods that are high in fat, but they're not many. Nuts, for example, avocados, seeds, oils. Now, many of us, uh, I'm kind of excited because we just bought a scale a couple days ago. It's a um, body fat scale, and since I'm a techie, I used to work for IBM for a long time. So I created a spreadsheet and I keep adding more things and making it more sophisticated. It does some cool things. And every day I set a step on my, um, on my um, scale and it gives me, what, 10 or 12 different readings, which is kind of fun for a techie. Um, and so I chart that on my spreadsheet. So I'm not really concerned about losing weight. I think I'm at a, at a reasonable weight. But uh, sometimes some of us want to reduce our weight. And one thing we can do is we can go on a diet. Now, diets are notorious for not working. So how many of you have wanted to lose weight and have gone on a diet? Okay, if you could raise your hand if you've ever been on a diet to lose weight. Did it work? <laughs> did it work for any of you? It did work. Temporarily, but it came back on and it worked for you. Okay. <laughs> so, but you were satisfied with your diet. For most people, diets don't tend to work very well. The only um, one thing that does seem to work is, um, is uh, if you go on a low-fat vegetarian diet, and again, this is referenced here, foot reference number seven, that if you go on a low-fat vegetarian diet, people lose an average of 24 pounds in a year, and five years later, the weight is still off. Okay? So that's kind of interesting. Many of us know people with heart disease. Okay, and I'll tell you a story about my dad. My dad, when he was very young, my dad has a fairly healthy diet. When he was very young, I mean, you can have, you can do all the right things, be a vegan, be active, and still get disease. There's still other w ways you can get disease. And in my dad's case, when he was very young, he had, um, um, what was the disease called? It was a disease that affected the heart, scarlet fever, when he was like four years old or something like that. The doctors, he had to be in bed for some time. The doctor said, at some point, you're probably going to have some heart issues. Well, my dad is in his mid-70s, and about two, three years ago, he did have to have some surgery for his heart but it wasn't for like 70 years. And I think I attribute that to his good health. So when he had heart disease, I was really surprised because, um, um, well, I'll tell you why in a minute I was very surprised. The only effective way known, the only way known to reverse, not just stop, but to reverse heart disease is the Ornish plan. How many of you have heard of Dean Ornish and his work? Okay, so some of us have heard of Dean Ornish. Dean Ornish has come up with a three-step plan. You have to do all three things and it will reverse heart disease in a large number of people, a large percentage of people. And it's been published in the New England Journal of Medicine, many conservative medical um, journals. It's been on NPR and PBS. It's, it's very well known, lots of books about the Ornish diet. It's well known, doctors know this, and dietitians know this, and so forth. Three things. One thing is a low-fat, plant-based diet. 
a low-fat vegan diet. Moderate exercise, and if you're a religious prayer, if you're not religious, meditation or centering, okay? We can't tell why those three things are important, but you need to do all three things, okay? So is that radical, or is it radical if you have heart disease to take this huge dosage of all sorts of medicine and go back to your standard American diet, which is very sad, standard American diet, go back to this crazy lifestyle, work many, many hours, and so forth. So what's radical? Signing up for more surgery in the future? Even, you know, you, even though you've had bypass, you might very well have bypass again, or reversing it with eating fabulous foods, exercising, and centering or, or meditating. Okay? The thing that shocks me is when my dad was in the hospital, you know, we requested vegan food for him, of course, and uh, we were looking at what other people were getting, and they were getting... Am I wrong, Sunita? Were they getting bacon and eggs? They were getting, uh, if not bacon and eggs, something like that. And I talked to the cardiologist, and I said, Dr. Cardiologist, my friend, why are you not telling people about the Ornish diet? Why aren't you, after the surgery, giving them appropriate food? He made the argument that after surgery, what's important is getting, the right cal getting people to have calories. What's more important immediately after surgery is just getting calories into the body, not so much what you're eating. And I buy that, and I, and I can understand why. You don't want to make a huge change after surgery, so give comfort foods to people. But why not give a pamphlet? Why not send people home with an understanding of how to stop your heart disease and reverse it? They don't do that. What the doctor said to me is it's too hard. People will not listen. But again, I ask you, what is more radical, having good food, and I'll tell you about how to make a lot of this good food, and exercising and meditating or praying, or coming back to the hospital. I don't like going to the hospital. <laughs> so um, I don't know about any of you guys, but um, you know, I'd like to avoid that. So that's, I think, kind of strange. Um, we've all heard about the importance of dietary fiber. Fiber is important. And I'll tell you something a little bit yucky, although we're eating. So let's <laughs> see if I can get away with it. <laughs> but even if you're eating organic and you're eating lots of good food, you still may end up eating things that aren't good for you because there's pollutants in the environment, okay? So what fiber does is in the gut, it combines with some of these impurities and it, 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 uh, uh, it escorts it outside of your body when you go to the bathroom. That's what fiber does, okay? So fiber is clearly important. Where does fiber come from? Plant-based foods. Is there a single bit of fiber in animal-based foods? No, there's no fiber in animal-based foods whatsoever. There's no fiber in beef. No fiber in, in pork. There's no fiber in eggs or in milk, dairy products. Okay? It's only in plant-based foods. And by the way, one thing that's kind of interesting is the use of language. I called it beef and pork. Why don't we call it a dead cow or a dead pig? We kind of dress these terms up so we forget. We distance ourselves from where the, the food came from. We don't do that to corn or beans or peas. We're happy to know that this is where that food came from. So from a longevity point of view, it's kind of interesting, but... Um, Nutrition is a pretty young science, and there's not been that much research, so it's, it's still pretty new. But our friends, the Seventh-day Adventists, a lot of Seventh-day Adventists, about half of Seventh-day Adventists are vegetarian. Okay? So they did a big study of uh, 34,000 Seventh-day Adventists, and they found that vegetarians live seven years longer than non-vegetarians. And in fact, vegans live an additional year, so eight years longer. But it's not just longevity. I don't think any of us would like to live longer if we have you know, if it's a miserable time of it, if, you know, if it's, if it's tough. But the animal proteins that we're eating when we're not vegans do things like impede our immune system. They decrease our energy levels. They speed up cognitive 
and sexual dysfunction because the animal proteins block blood flow. And blood flow is important for certain kinds of functions. I'll leave it at that. Um, they clog arteries. So there's evidence that the last 13 years of life are healthier, more vibrant, more energetic. Okay? So to me, if nothing else, I think this message should be a strong message saying, why don't we consider a, a plant-based diet? Um, there was a study, the Harvard Nurses Study, of uh, more than 70,000, almost 78,000 women. Another long study, 12, 13 years. And they found that there was no reduction in fractures for those drinking at least three glasses of milk a day. We'll often hear, you know, you'll go home and say to your spouse, partner, friend, I just heard this talk by this, by this vegan. And the person will immediately say, well, I've heard vegetarianism is good, but that's radical and you don't want to hurt your bones, so forget about what he said. So I'll come back to that in a minute. But uh, the Harvard Nurses Study showed that those who drank three glasses of milk a day, there was no reduction in fractures. And in fact, the fracture rates were higher for those drinking more than three glasses of, a day. Uh, it's consistent with other international data. So let me tell you something kind of interesting, very interesting. There's um, uh, a nutritionist from Cornell University, T. Colin Campbell, and he did a study of what was the healthiest diet in the world. And it was another long study, I think it was seven years. And he found the healthiest diet in the world came from the interior of China. In the interior of China, they are eating practically a vegan diet. Almost zero animal protein is plant-based. And he also found that um, those that in most societies, milk is not consumed as much as it is in just a few societies. In the United States, in India, and in Sweden, and in, in the Scandinavian countries, there's a lot of cheese and milk. In most of the rest of the world, there'll be maybe a little bit of milk, a little bit of cheese, but not like here, India, or the Scandinavian countries. You'll be shocked, but he did a, in his study, he found that the more dairy consumption, the more there was bone fracture and bone disease. And places like Japan, China, where there's no dairy consumption to speak of, almost zero. I'll tell you another story. I visited J uh, Japan a few years ago and Korea, and my Japanese friends were complaining uh, politically, they weren't happy with our, with our leadership, and they were saying that there's a trade imbalance, and the United States is really pushing animal products on us, particularly milk and beef. And they weren't complaining about the beef thing because the Japanese themselves are demanding that, but milk is not something Japanese typically would consume. So they were saying the Americans are pushing milk on us, and uh, these are older Japanese, and they were saying that we never heard of bone disease, and only now there's starting to be some blips where people are starting to hear about bone disease. Why is that? Why is it by consuming dairy products is there uh, possibly more of a chance of getting bone disease? It is true that cow's milk is full of calcium. There's no doubt about that, okay? So much so that we see we milk these cows to death and, and they often collapse because the calcium comes out of their bones. So this glass of milk, which I'm not drinking, I'm drinking lemonade, but this glass of milk does have a lot of calcium. The problem is if you studied chemistry in high school, we talk about this thing called an osmotic balance. What the body does is it says, when you drink that milk, it says, my heavens, Elise, what are you doing? We have so much calcium, so much protein, so much animal protein, it's too much. Let's try to get rid of it. A lot of the calcium you drink comes out of your urine, and what the body does is it pumps it out of your, pumps it out of your own bones and so you end up depleting it from your own bones. So by drinking the calcium, you're pulling it out of your own body. That's one of the reasons why drinking such a high, highly concentrated source of calcium really doesn't seem to do you any good. It seems to do you harm, okay? 
the other thing I like to whenever I I'm also you know I come from a from a computer science background I like to you know kind of prove things and make sure that there's a sanity check I like to apply common sense although my wife will tell you I don't always have common sense but I try to as much as I can if you think about it why do mammals give milk to nurse their young so we're pregnant you can't quite tell, but we're expecting in December. We're pretty excited about that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so we're expecting, and so we're looking forward to nursing our, our babies. And Gita will, I think, is really looking forward to that. We nurse because the mother's breast gives exactly the kind of nutrition that the baby needs. Okay? If you look at a baby calf, when a baby calf is born, what happens in the first year to the calf is the calf grows in size something like nine times. What happens to babies, human babies, is in the first year, this is what grows a lot, is the brain. And if you look at the composition of human milk, it's totally different from cow's milk. It's used to really engender brain development and not so much mass development. Okay? If you drink a lot of dairy products, eat a lot of cheese, we get the mass development. So that's one thing to keep in mind. The other thing is milk is produced for babies. So some people who are perhaps more confrontational than me, who see somebody drinking milk, will say, grow up. <laughs> milk is meant for babies, really in your same species. I would argue if milk is so important for somebody to drink, look for somebody, ask somebody like Sangeeta, who's nursing, and say, would you mind not just nursing for your cute little baby, but nursing a little bit extra, and, and let me drink some of that too. You'd be healthier off drinking human milk if you need to drink milk at all. Okay? So it just doesn't make sense. Species generally don't take milk from other species. And I'll make another interesting... <laughs> but they could ask. You could say no. They could ask. Um, so I'll say something else that's a little bit may sound controversial, but if you feel you have to have animal protein, meat makes more sense than milk. Milk makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, so if you have to have animal protein, you feel animal protein is important to you, it really is more natural to eat meat. You can see lots of examples in the animal kingdom of carnivores, which we're not eating animals. You don't see, with very, very few ex counter exceptions, species taking milk from another species. So think about that. So let's move on. So um, weight gain in milk. There was a study done of uh, almost 13,000 children, and they found increased milk resulted in increased weight gain. And in fact, three servings of milk a day led to a 35% like, more likelihood that people would be overweight. We have an epidemic in this country of overweight, of people being overweight. We have, it's not hard to find, probably not in this room, but if you go out and look around, a lot of people are overweight, and it's a lot of diet, yes. Now that we're on milk, you don't mind. I'm, I'm not overweight, I'm just underweight. But it's amazing that I would spend here and here being evaporated milk as a baby mm. my whole first year of life. So now in my 40s, I'm struggling with this immune state. So the point made, was made, she had a, what she's calling a, not a good diet of a lot of dairy when she was growing up, and now she's having immunity problems. I'm glad you mentioned that because it turns out, um, how many of you have read, and we need to buy it by the way, Sangeeta, uh, how many of you have read the most famous child rearing book? It's by, sorry? Yeah, Benjamin Spock. He's been publishing... So Benjamin Spock learned about and came to realize how terrible dairy products were. And in the last edition of his book, he begged people, please don't introduce dairy products to your kids. It's the largest allergen. It creates the most allergens. In my presentation, I like to recite 
reputable information and things that you can reference. But I'm going to cite something which is just anecdotal. I've been vegetarian for a long time. I've been vegan for five, six, seven years. And all my friends who are vegan said, once you're vegan, you're not going to get sick again. Okay, now this is anecdotal. And they're right. Uh, I used to routinely get two bad flus a year when I was a vegetarian, lacto-vegetarian. When I gave up the dairy, I haven't even once gotten the flu. In the seven years I've been free of dairy products, um, I, I got mono once. And mono, you know, <laughs> it was kind of weird to get it as a as a grown person, but that, you know, people can get sick. I biked in Scotland in the rain and cold and got some sniffles. That's the closest I've come to getting a cold. I haven't gotten a cold or flu even once in seven years. So again, this is anecdotal. There's no, I can't give you a footnote for that, but other people have told me that. Other people have told me once you're vegan, you'll find you're more alert, require less sleep. So, uh, and, and, and that's been true for me. So, um, this study showed that there's a high prevalence of lactose intolerance, the energy contents in saturated fats in milk, and evidence that dairy products may promote both male prostate and female ovarian cancers. One of my many roles is I recruit for Johns Hopkins University. I, as a volunteer, I work you know, for admissions and I interview people and, and uh, pass my comments on to, to Baltimore. I went to Johns Hopkins. Dr. Frank Oski was the past director of pediatrics at Hopkins, and all of us have heard of Johns Hopkins. It's one of well, I come from there, so I'll brag and I'll say it's either the number one or number two medical institution probably in the world. Either Hopkins or Harvard are often cited as the, the best medical institution. Dr. Frank Oski, who was the director of pediatrics, wrote a book, and he said there's no reason to drink cow's milk at any time. We should all stop. The American Gastroenterological Association has said that dairy is the number one cause of food allergies in kids and infants. Uh, we've talked about Benjamin Spock. Milk may trigger juvenile onset diabetes. I'll tell you another piece of interesting information that's still early. We talked about heart disease. My good friend Brenda Davis, she's probably the best nutritionist out there. She's a, uh, she's a Canadian nutritionist. I don't know if we have one of her books here, but I highly recommend anything Brenda has written. She's in the middle of this study uh, in the Marshall Islands, and she's finding there's some tentative research that she's found, as well as Dr. Neil Bernard in Washington, D.C., that not just with heart disease, but a vegan diet may reverse diabetes. But this is still early. I don't have a lot of references about that. But keep your eyes open about research about that topic. Um, and then, of course, chronic ear infections, asthma, skin conditions, and many other conditions may be eliminated if you avoid cow's milk. So again, use common sense. It doesn't really make sense to take milk from another species, I think. Okay, so let's move on. Health, we talked about health. So there are some arguments to move towards a plant-based diet from a health point of view. The environment. Let's, again, use some common sense. When we took physics in high school, we learned that every time you convert energy from one form to another, you lose something in the translation in the process, right? It's inefficient. It's not 100% efficient converting energy. In an ideal world, we'd all be green, and we'd just hang out outside for a while and sprout our leaves, just kind of spread our arms out, and collect that beautiful sunlight, and the chlorophyll in our skin would convert that to, um, you know, to starches and carbohydrates, and we'd get... Uh, our energy from the sun. Ultimately, all the energy that we live on in the, on the planet comes from the sun. But we're not green, and uh, we can't do that. So we have to eat plants. We can choose to eat animals because we are omnivores. We do, we do have the ability to consume animals. But from a physics point of view, when we eat the animal, the animal has converted the energy from the plant, which has converted the energy from the sun. Why not go get rid of the middleman, the middle person, the middle animal, and go to the sun and not lose that, that uh, efficiency? And that is the primary driving force behind some of these statistics. 
It turns out in the United States, when you drive in the Midwest and you see all these beautiful fields of grains and so forth, most of these grains aren't grown for us, for that wonderful pita bread you're eating from the back or for breads or grains uh, of other sorts. They're mainly grown for our friends, the animals. We feed it to the animals and then we kill the animals. So that's why most of the grain is grown, which is kind of strange. This uh, footnote shows that if we ate the plants directly, we'd be using energy so much more efficiently. In fact, uh, you see all sorts of statistics. And by the way, speaking of statistics, and I have a number in my presentation, a lot of people in the 60s and 70s became vegetarian because of a guy named Dr. John, not Dr., but John Robbins. Um, and he was the heir, he is the heir to the Baskin-Robbins ice cream fortune. But he uh, turned against the ice cream part of his fortune and he said, you know, milk is not a good thing and he advocated veganism and he wrote a book called Diet for a New um, America, or was it Diet for a New Planet? Diet for a New America. And a lot of people became vegetarian because of his book, which is good. Unfortunately, he cited all these statistics, grandiose statistics about water usage and about energy usage. I'm doing some of that, but I'm being careful to footnote, and his data was wrong. He actually did not have correct data. It was, the intent was right, but the numbers were wrong. So I'm glad people that it affected their hearts and their minds about this topic, but I wish he got the numbers right. So if you want to read a book which very carefully goes through scientifically these arguments, the best book I can recommend is by my friend Eric Marcus. Eric Marcus wrote a book called um, Vegan, the New Ethics for Eating. And very carefully he, he cites statistics that are provably, you know, that you can go to and, and look at.